0: Why do I hold my breath when I do that?
1: I, I forgot. I, I, was like, I was like, wait, what's that new intro? And then I was like, no, wait, you, we're using the old intro. Yeah, no. uh, <laughs> I know. Was, I was
0: thinking that. I was like, bonjour oh. bienvenue to Battle Royale. So,
1: okay, I'm sorry. Bonjour and bienvenue to Battle Royale, where we are passing judgment on all the kings and emperors of France, from Clovis to Napoleon III.
0: Who will be selected as the creme de la creme, and who will be sent to the guillotine?
1: Je m'appelle Ben Clark.
0: And I'm Eliza Summers.
1: And today, we are doing Louis Eleventh, who yeah. I'm I've been really looking forward to. He is king number 50. Oh, wow. Number 50 out of 71. Uh, oh, wow, so we're we're in, well and truly over halfway, we are getting close. But also, there's going to be a lot of longer, uh, maybe more spread and, out,
0: and probably more additional people will cover.
1: Yeah, there's going to be more in betweeny people as well, um, cool. which we will get to. Um, a lot of especially interesting women uh, we're Yay. going to get to. Uh, but first, we have to talk about Louis the Eleventh. I'm going to dive just straight immediately into his life, because okay. there's a lot to get through.
0: Yes. Go, go, go.
1: So, Louis Eleventh, or at least the future Louis Eleventh, he's, he's, he's just the little Dauphin Louis at first. <laughs> he was born in Bourges on
0: mm-hmm. the 3rd
1: of July, 1423, at 3pm. Uh, so, we've oh. got the time of his birth. Damn. <laughs> it's pretty exciting. <laughs>
0: I know I was a I know I was a morning baby.
1: So I can tell you, Eliza, that not yes. only is Louis a cancer, but yeah. he's also a Taurus moon. We yeah, know his whole even... birth chart because we know the, the day and the time that he was born. <laughs> so I don't know what any of that means. Listeners Me can probably tell us. Louis was the very first child born to Marie of Anjou,
0: mm-hmm. uh, the
1: Princess of Naples and her second second cousin slash husband, uh, Charles VII of France, who at this point had been king of France for about a year, but was far from properly claiming the throne, if we remember the circumstances of uh, him coming to the throne during the Hundred Years' War, when half of France didn't support him. So in 1429 little Prince Louis would have met Joan of Arc, who, after her great victory at Orléans, came to visit the fortress of Loche, just outside Mm -hmm. Tours, where the prince resided. When describing a feast held in Joan of Arc's honour at Loche, the French Marshal André Laval described Mm -hmm. Prince Louis as, quote, well-formed, agile, and clever indeed. Uh, This was at... (laughs) Quite a young age, Laval describes him as being seven years old when he's actually five, and this is perhaps a reflection of how sort of precocious that Louis was as a child. (laughs) However, the description of Louis's appearance is is a bit Uh, flattering—the whole well-formed thing.
0: Yeah, Uh, yeah, I was like,
1: neither of Louis's parents were Um, good-looking, and his portrait, which we'll get to in in part two, definitely shows that he was one of. These uh, inbred Valois who got hit by Uh, the ugly stick. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But we'll get to that in the second part when we look Mm, at his appearance. Judge him. Judge him, yes. In 1436, shortly before his 13th birthday, Louis attended his first major public event, which was his own wedding.
0: Oh, Um,
1: okay. Yeah. So he was to marry Margaret Stewart. Oh. The beautiful and confident daughter of King James I of Scotland,
0: oh. um,
1: who was uh, a year younger than him. Yeah. Uh the marriage ceremony went off without mm-hmm. a hitch, uh, and the two yes. children they seemed to get along fine.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh but the wedding was ruined by Ooh. King Charles, <gasps> who not only showed oh, up yeah. to the ceremony late in his in his muddy riding clothes, yes. but he also uh found
0: that wedding quick
1: he insisted that the scottish delegation leave the feast early uh to save him money basically <laughs> so
0: <laughs> the thing is that you could do that in a really funny way but i can't imagine charles doing that in a funny way he would have said no. it so bluntly he would have been like go in five minutes so i'm not wasting my money yeah it- i'm not paying for your second drink this
1: might have been quirky and funny if if a different Man did it, but,
0: yeah, but uh,
1: Charles by this point had not endeared himself to his son. He basically kept Louis sort of locked up at the Fortress of Losh, ostensibly for his own safety, but yeah. Charles never really visited his son. Louis was close to his mother, but not really close to his father. Yeah. He, he didn't really see him much. And quickly Louis grew to see his father as weak and dull-witted, while Charles saw his son as willful and arrogant. Um, Things escalated after 1440 When Mm -hmm. Louis was drawn into the Pragery Which is a rebellion against his father Led by the Dukes of Bourbon and Alençon uh,
0: Uh, Who had
1: taken umbrage at Charles VII's attempts at reform Uh, By this point, you know, Charles is on the up and up In the Mm. Hundred Years' War The Burgundians are kind of back on his side And a lot of his older supporters are not happy about the, the new status quo yeah. So Louis was kind of used by the lords in this war. Yeah. He was still only like sixteen at this point. So he was ostensibly like forgiven when the when the rebellion yeah. fell apart and uh, um, yeah,
0: be like, Oh, you were manipulated.
1: And his father supposedly forgave him, but it, it didn't help the relationship, let's just say that. Yeah. One thing the campaign the Prague did accomplish was mm-hmm. endearing Louis to the people of Paris.
0: Oh wow, that's rare.
1: Yeah. So if you remember, Charles the never liked Paris, and the, feel- the feeling was mutual.
0: Yeah,
1: Louis sort of offered a figurehead of resistance for the mm. Parisians, and you know this just made Charles distrust Louis more.
0: Yeah,
1: because <laughs> the people of Paris are like, we love the Dauphin, we can't wait until he's king and this bug is out of the way.
0: Yeah. Uh, like, he want- they want me dead.
1: So on numerous occasions, Louis was sent out on military campaigns by his father. This is like later in his teens, um, early 20s, sort of. Um, And he did really well. Uh, Like he was really good at it. Um, But Charles VII would uh, sort of fail to reinforce him or he would like cut off funding at the last minute. Or he'd just recall Louis back to court saying like, you need to come back to court. And then Louis would, would get back to court and be given absolutely nothing to do. Like, there was no reason for him uh, to be called back to court. Yeah, so Louis was, like, frustrated by his father simultaneously not wanting him around and wanting him to go off and, like, do something else. Yeah. But also not giving him the support he needed when he actually yeah. did do well.
0: Do, yeah, yeah.
1: The most significant of these campaigns, there were there were a couple against the English. Um, yeah. At the sort of towards the end of the Hundred Years' War, but the most significant was an Eastward expedition in mm-hmm. 1444 to support France's German allies. Okay. So, you know, the Holy Roman Empire. Yeah. Against Swiss rebels. Oh. We really haven't mentioned Switzerland that much. I know. On, on the podcast. It's really that sort of an emerging power Nation. in the oh. 15th century. It's sort of a, a collection of what are called cantons, which are like little... Sort of merchant republics, I guess. Okay, um, it's similar to Flanders um, in, oh, okay. in in that way, sort of. Not as pesky. Not as pesky, but in, in Switzerland they have no like feudal leadership. They're they're uh, like, fully their own thing.
0: Thing. Ostensibly,
1: oh, okay. they're part of the Holy Roman Empire, but they rebel quite a lot.
0: Yeah.
1: And Switzerland, as we know, is like very mountainous, and yeah. the Swiss develop cheese very well, cheese, yes, but also very <laughs> advanced like pikemen. Um, very ah oh, nice. Pikemen are very useful in mountainous terrain because you can mm. easily sort of block off the like narrow passes, yeah. uh, to prevent troops getting through. um nice. and they're pretty effective against cavalry as well. Nice. So Louis comes in, you know, to help the emperor deal with these, these Swiss people. Yeah. and uh, Louis was was sent off with basically like all of the all of the undesirables of France. <laughs> so all of like the free companies uh the flayers as they're called and louis with this with this unruly army of of mercenaries basically goes and just devastates the swiss countryside and he ends up sort of carving out a little mini empire for himself in uh in in the alps and sort of alsace Hmm. but charles doesn't like what's happening over there (laughs) louis is starting to annoy the the burgundians so he he calls louis back to court um Tell us all this time. Louis then, you know, spent the next two years at court where he had the fortune to meet uh, Agnes Sorel, the king's new mistress.
0: Ah! Uh, who he
1: immediately hated. <laughs> yeah, But Charles, you know, wouldn't suffer any in- insults to his mistress. Mm. But he also, you know, he wouldn't involve Louis at all in the administration of the realm. Louis was basically, just felt useless at the
0: court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Been frustrating.
1: By contrast, the the king and queen had become very close to his wife, uh, Margaret the Dauphine, and they, like, sort of doted on her. Louis, by this point, wasn't really getting along with with Margaret. Uh, uh. Margaret had this sort of, like, fiery, passionate personality, uh, uh. and she was a lover of, like, luxury, romance, and poetry. And these are very uh. much not Louis' thing. Yeah. Louis is more like of a pragmatic kind of... Mm. Sort of simple kind of guy, yeah. like simple in sort of lifestyle and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, a, mil- he's a military guy by this Yeah. Point. So the two of them really never vibed. <laughs> they had no children. And oh. Margaret, very sadly, died uh, in 1445. How old? She was 23 when she mm. died. And they were married for about nine years, but no children. Wow. So some say that she basically died of like a combination of like a weak constitution and yeah. like overwhelming stress. About uh, uh slander A bit- against her character that had been spread really? around at court uh I don't think Louis was involved in this slander mm. he seems to have just ignored Margaret <laughs> but there were certain courtiers that that uh, well, that would didn't cause really the like, slander that didn't like her and and you know caused the slander yeah
0: they seeing her her husband not sticking up for her She's ignoring her. Yeah, well, to but
1: yeah, Margaret sort of was going through like a terrible, like, like sort of feverish illness, and she was Aww. like very upset at the same time about about slanderous accusations that have been made against her.
0: Yeah, that wouldn't help your recovery.
1: So, unfortunately, that, that's the end of uh, of Margaret.
0: Aww.
1: With Margaret dead, Louis kind of has kind of lost ties to court in a way. Like, he kind of has no reason to be there. He's like, I've got no wife yeah. here. Like, what am I supposed to do? Um, so Louis departs. <laughs> The French court for good, and he settles in the territory of Dauphiné, okay. uh, which is you know ostensibly what he rules as the Dauphin, mm. um, even though it's taken ages for Charles to actually give him that territory.
0: Finally got it.
1: Yeah. So Dauphiné. Uh, I'm not sure if you remember where it is.
0: Isn't it Aqu- near Aquitaine? Is it?
1: No, it's the other side of oh, France. So it's okay. it's the southeast rather than the southwest. It's near Provence. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost Alps, but not quite Alps. It's this lovely little valley, the Valley of Vienne and Grenoble, and it's a bit of a backwater at this point. It's a sort of neglected corner of the Royal Um, Domain. But Louis decided to come in and reform it and sort of transform it into his own little kingdom. Nice. Um, But King Charles, once again, eventually decided to put the kibosh on Louis' success and independence. In particular, the, the reason for this uh, was that Louis had sort of gone rogue in diplomatic relations. Louis' foreign policy was completely different to Charles' foreign policy. Huh. Louis had abandoned a campaign to support his uncle Rene of Anjou reconquering huh. Naples, which is something that Rene of Anjou tries to do several times and fails yeah. at. Um Louis had also started getting very chummy with the new Duke of Milan, oh.
0: um,
1: whose name is Francesco Sforza.
0: Ah! Oh. Um,
1: yeah, so the Sforzas, the Sforzas. Are, are in, the nice. Viscontis are out. The Viscontis have died out. Okay. And Francesco Sforza supposedly usurps Milan, oh. Francesco being married to a bastard daughter of the uh, last Duke. Um oh from uh, the rightful heir to Milan, who, according to many of the French, is the Duke of Orléans, oh. who at this point is still Charles the Poet. <laughs> so Louis is corresponding and becoming a, becoming friends with Francesco oh. Sforza, who um, the rest of the French are sort of against. Yeah. And to add to the insult to his father, Louis, after failing to gain permission from his father to to get married decided to get married anyway. Um, He married uh, Charlotte, uh, the Duke of Savoy's daughter. So, sort of neighbouring to um, Dauphiné. So, these combined insults led to Charles fully marching the royal army down to Dauphiné to, like, take it back by force. So, Louis, with his, like, puny personal army, he was no match for... The entire royal army. Yeah. Um and also in any case, he there was no point, you know, starting another civil war. Yeah. But Louis also refused to give ground and reconcile with his father. He's like, No, I'm Mm. not going back to court. I'm not getting put back in a gilded cage. So Louis decides instead to take his household of loyal supporters and and run away. He flees. (laughs) Where to? Oh, I've gotta give you a couple guesses. Okay. It's not it's not to Italy. He it doesn't go to the Swartzes.
0: Scotland?
1: No, he doesn't leave France, really. But he goes to a part of France that's kind of out of Charles's reach. Normandy? No, Normandy's in the royal domain. Flanders. Yes, Flanders, which is controlled yes. by
0: Flanders. Do
1: you remember? Mm-mm. I don't remember. The Duke of Burgundy. Oh.
0: Yeah.
1: So Louis goes to Burgundy. So nobody had expected Louis to flee to Burgundy. Um, yeah, uh, it was an angry completely father. unexpected. Yeah. Um, so Louis had never really had a relationship with the elderly Duke of Burgundy, Philip the Good, up to this point. Um, but seeing a lovely opportunity to to, to annoy s- the, King the King of France, yeah. uh, Philip welcomed Louis with open Out of arms. Spite. <laughs> yeah. Um And uh, he set him up in the castle of Jeannap in Flanders. Um, nice. So Jeannap was fairly humble compared to the castles of the Loire Valley that Louis mm. had grown up in. But it was an improvement from Dauphiné, and yeah. uh, Louis liked it just fine. He and his wife enjoyed a sort of simpler lifestyle once again, mainly mm. revolving around hunting and making airs, which Louis manages to start doing at this point. Yes. But Louis wasn't just relaxing, he was constantly hosting ambassadors, oh. schmoozing with uh, the Burgundians, and smart building up a, a spy network.
0: Ooh. Um,
1: to sort of keep an eye on network. on, on goings-on throughout Europe, and especially the French court. Oh,
0: that's Eliza, cool. if you
1: love a spy network, you're going to I love do. Louis XI.
0: <laughs> yes!
1: So, after the murder of Agnes Sorel in 1450, mm-hmm. which Louis may or may not have been involved with,
0: yeah,
1: um, Louis actually started corresponding with the new royal mistress, Antoinette de Manulet, oh.
0: um,
1: who we're also going to get to in her own mistress episode, and uh, Antoinette becomes one of his chief spies a- at oh! the royal court. Yeah.
0: Spying on Daddy Dearest?
1: Spying on Daddy Dearest from the bedroom. Um <laughs>
0: I don't so, think Louis wants those details.
1: No, no, no. He uses her to kind of sabotage uh, other guys at court who are trying to gain favour with, with Charles. Because um, he's basically like, you know, if I can't have fi- favour, then nobody can. <laughs> <laughs> so this state of affairs continued uh, for the remaining five years of Charles the Seventh's reign. Um, and Louis was increasingly seen as outstaying his welcome with the Burgundians.
0: Ooh. Um,
1: so Philip the Good, while while he showed all deference to Louis, um, mm. uh, he did like. not like Louis's sort of lack of manners and oh. uh, his insistence on being this kind of down-to-earth, salt-of-the-earth kind of guy, whereas <laughs> Philip and his Burgundian court, it was, they, they were at the height of, like, grandeur and opulence Ah. and, like, like complex etiquette.
0: Oh, totally opposite to Louis.
1: When they first meet, actually, when Louis first arrives in Flanders, there's this funny incident Where, Mm -hmm. um, by custom, because um, Louis is sort of higher ranking, he's he's the heir to the throne. Yeah. Philip has to bow three times Uh, as he approaches him. he approaches, yeah, yeah. He gets off his horse, he bows, he walks halfway forward, he bows. Bows. He walks in front of Louis, he bows. But before he can do the third bow, Louis basically grabs him and embraces him. Uh, and Philip, who's like an old man, is like struggling to keep bowing.
0: He's like, no, stop. I need to finish the bow first.
1: And Louis is like, fine. Okay. All okay, right. Yeah. He lets him finish the bow.
0: But he got stink eye.
1: Louis constantly, he keeps, he keeps stepping on a lot of toes at the Burgundian court. And he's meddling in politics as well. And cool. uh, this p- puts him on the bad side, particularly of Philip's son and heir, Count Charles of Charolais, who will be the future uh, Charles the Bold of Burgundy. That's oh. bold, B-O-L-D, not bold, oh. B-A-L-D, as in Charles the Bald, our king. So sort of Louis and Louis and this Charles, uh, Charles the Bald, sort of started off friends. They enjoyed hunting together, but eventually sort of Salus. court politics got in the way. Yeah. And they, they end up as, as bitter rivals for the rest Ooh. of their lives. So the king finally dies. Uh, king Charles VII finally okay. dies on the 22nd of July, 1461. And three days later, an exhausted rider arrives in Flanders to break the news to Louis, Mm -hmm. who didn't waste any time being sad. He sprang (sighs) into action. Yeah, he was 38 years old. Oh, wow. And he'd been waiting for this moment a very long time.
0: It's like, to the coronation!
1: Not to the coronation. He goes immediately to a ven, uh, which is sort of between between Flanders and Paris-ish, but it's quite near the English stronghold of Calais. Oh, okay. Louis is there to negotiate with the English, who uh, have a, a new king, uh, mm. a new dynasty, the York Ooh. dynasty, Ooh. because they are in the midst of the Wars of the Roses. Yes. And this presents a lot of opportunities for France to kind of switch things up and create yeah. some kind of new alliance. So Edward of York has just deposed mm. Henry the Sixth
0: oh. and
1: uh with the help of Warwick, the Kingmaker, yes, he's become Edward the and uh, Warwick is keen to get Edward the Fourth a French alliance. Yeah, though as we know, that Edward will husband. instead fall in love with, with and marry the, the English uh, Woodville. Elizabeth Woodville, uh, at the time. who's he's he's quite fun and and, and yeah, a bit she... witchy. Um, and Louis the Eleventh will end up harboring his cousin Margaret of Anjou, the the oh. wife of the deposed henry VI, as a result of edward sort of breaking yeah. the alliance negotiations warwick the kingmaker also at one point ends up in exile with margaret uh, at uh, the french court so we won't be getting too much into the wars of the roses on this podcast yeah. because
0: that's covered extensively
1: billion other podcasts about it
0: <laughs> yeah and
1: this is a french history podcast but just know that you know that's that's banging that's on, on in the background <laughs> yeah. throughout this episode. In fact, by the time Louis dies, it's still going on. Um, but, you know, that's keeping the English nice and distracted, at least. Yes. So Louis, frustrated by the English negotiations at Aven he proceeds to Paris, and then he goes to Rams, where he is crowned King Louis Eleventh on the 15th of August, 1461. Uh, nice. So about a month after his father dies. So the first year of Louis' reign is a whirlwind of activity. Louis is the complete opposite of his rather lethargic father, (laughs) where Charles was sort of slow and steady. Louis is like, let's get everything done right now. Um, So the Lords Lords of France actually struggled to keep up with him um, as he made a progress through his new realm at breakneck speed. (laughs) Um, inspecting all his new territories.
0: They're just like chasing after him, be like, just let me catch a breath.
1: Yeah. And even when they do catch up to him, The king's off hunting in the woods now. It's like, you've missed him. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like, And he's, like, meeting loads of ambassadors. Uh, Mm. He's holding councils to, like, reform the country. In particular, he's determined to get rid of inefficiencies and redundancies. (laughs) Um, Makes sense. And he would often dismay minor lords and officials by just showing up to their homes unannounced and sort of going through their <laughs> account books and, like, seeing if everything was, like, above board. Um, oh,
0: I love that. Yeah. God, he must become a nightmare for the, like, lords. They're, like, having starting, like, Absolutely. nightmares of him showing up at their door.
1: Louis was also separating sort of the wheat from the chaff when it came to the new yeah. council. He was appointed to govern his nice. govern his realm. Obviously, he wanted to reward people who'd remained loyal to him during his yeah. years in exile, and he wanted to punish the people who had opposed him at the court for uh, you know his entire life. yeah, at first, he dismissed and even imprisoned people like Pierre Ooh. de Breze, who'd come to power on the coattails of Agnes Sorel. Uh, yeah. and we talk about him in Agnes Sorel's uh, mistress episode, which will be coming out yeah soon very exciting yeah. but after thinking it over he decided to instead win their loyalty and not let their skills go to waste nice. um so breze in particular was a very skilled general and uh administrator and he ended up being appointed the governor of normandy oh. which is a very important job because you got to keep the english out uh yeah. and uh, out of gratitude uh breze remained loyal for the rest of his life and he passed the title on to his son
0: oh nice
1: his son was a murderer uh but uh that's the story for another time uh so so one of louis main priorities was to re-enlarge the royal domain to the state that had been under his great-grandfather charles v yeah we're already off to a pretty good start with reconquering the territories from the english like normandy and aquitaine but louis also determined to get back stuff that the burgundians had gotten their hands on mm. he ended up purchasing a large portion of picardy known as hmm. the, the Somme Towns from the Burgundians, for like a, a huge sum of, of 400,000 oh. livres. Wow. And this sort of shored up the king's border with Burgundy and England. It's also quite near Calais as well.
0: Doubt that helped with the royal finances, though.
1: <laughs> Not necessarily, but Louis, Louis is making up for that in other ways by okay. um, sort of improving royal revenues, eliminating That's inefficiencies... Good. Uh, increasing taxes (laughs) as well. He does that. Mm. Um, So Louis, you know, he's doing this big progress around the realm. He reaches the south of France um, and he conducts a brief military campaign uh, assisting the king of Aragon in putting down a Catalan rebellion. And as a reward, he's able to sort of nab the border territories of Sardin and Roussillon, uh, which are part of modern France today, but uh, at the time were part of Aragon. Um yeah. However, the aiding of Aragon uh was very mm-hmm. controversial among the French lords uh because oh. the Aragonese royal family were the sworn enemies of the house of Anjou because oh. they'd been fighting over Sicily for quite a while. Oh yeah. And add to that the fact that Yolande of Anjou, the current duke of Anjou's mm. uh, mother, had claimed to be the rightful queen of Aragon. Yeah, um, you know, saw the current king as, as a usurper.
0: God, um, it, it's interesting. Louis, like, just does not care about other people's, like, corals. He's yeah, like, I Louis- don't care. I'm doing what's best for me, okay? I don't care if you hate each other.
1: Yeah, we're doing what's best for me, but also for France
0: as well. France, yeah. Put aside as, your as squabbles. Country. Yeah, I don't care if you think you rightfully should rule that place. I'm making <laughs> in alliance with them.
1: Exactly. Louis also, as we've seen before, ignored the interests of the House of Orléans. So, Charles of Orléans still kicking at this time, um, mm. and uh, he wanted the king to support him with his inheritance in Milan. Um, yeah. Louis refused. One of Louis's constant companions is the Milanese ambassador. Oh, well, there's a couple different ones. There's one called Valperga, yeah. and this one called Panigarola, who, their like Italian chronicles, are like one of the main sources uh, from which we know oh. a lot about Louis's early reign.
0: Well. Nice.
1: Yeah. So Louis is ignoring Orléans. Yeah, he's, he's ignoring just, Anjou. He's stepping he's
0: like... on a, lo- a lot of noble French houses' toes, isn't
1: he? Yes. And not only that, but the, the great princes of France, um, the royal princes, the the Valois princes, they were conspicuously absent from Louis XI's new council. Ooh. Not only was he pissing off the Anjous and the Orléans, but uh, Bourbon was still unhappy oh. after the failure of the Pragery. Um, the Burgundians, they'd soured on Louis during his time in Burgundy. And uh the Duke of Brittany, uh Francis II, who's the only major prince who's who's not a Valois, Francis II of Brittany is determined that Brittany uh maintain its independence and sort of he's trying to make it a more separate company country from france
0: god is is there anyone on his side Louis side
1: yes well yeah this is the thing so because the prince felt alienated by louis's commitment they to rebel reform and you know his new uh, alliances yes they do rebel louis also he, he he failed to keep up the sort of splendor and like yeah. um opulence. opulence that have been present at Charles VII's court custom Uh, nowhere near as good as the opulence and splendor at the Burgundian court but you know, Charles at least tried, whereas Louis was not trying, Louis um, saw uh, the way the court was before as like sinful and Uh, wasteful um, uh, and polluted yeah, he didn't really see any need to sort of keep the lords happy with like bread and circuses basically and, you know, like, tournaments and, yeah, and, and distracting all of that them fat. From he, he, he got rid of that. Distracting
0: them from yeah. wanting to do civil war. <laughs>
1: yeah. He's like, we're here to govern the country. And they're like, no, we want, we want to bring the fun back. We're going to civil like, war. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, basically, I mean, Louis, uh, he was moving in the right direction, but he tried to change too much too fast.
0: Yeah.
1: And he was about to pay for it with a civil war that was, much bigger than the Prague. <laughs> so the lords opposing Louis, which is basically all of the major principalities yeah. of, of France, uh, they formed an alliance called the League of the Public Wheel. Ooh. That's Wheel W-E-A-L, as in like the public good. Mm. So their goal was to almost entirely limit the powers of the king, and have france be ruled exclusively by a council of nobles and if this sounds familiar this is just the regency of madness is what they're trying to do yeah Uh, (laughs) they're trying to just make it so that you know the king is like straight jacketed
0: more like english
1: sort of the way the way things were more or less in charles VI's reign the way the way things kind of were in charles vii's reign because charles vii wasn't a super active king yeah they just wanted to kind of just Cut off the king's power, basically. There were varying degrees to which uh, these princes were involved. Anjou uh, remained relatively neutral, uh, although Charles of Anjou, the Count of Maine, uh, so one of Louis' uncles, he does betray Louis and go over to the League halfway through the war. (gasps) Um, The League also has the Bastard of Orléans, one of the heroes of the Hundred Years' War on its side
0: pissed off the bastard
1: yeah uh, but the main principalities that rebel the most important ones were the four b's uh so Brittany, (laughs) burgundy Bourbon, and berry so berry which we haven't mentioned yet yeah um, berry uh is ruled by louis the eleventh's much younger brother charles (gasps) charles Charles jr
0: oh
1: this point is in his late teens
0: even his brothers are rebelling
1: yeah and I've seen Charles of Berry, uh, universally described as uh, as a vain idiot, <laughs> and he was just sort of being sort of puppeted by the 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 other lords. At this point, Charles of Berry has fled to the court of Brittany, um, which harbors many of the exiled courtiers of uh, Charles VII. The Duke of Brittany is like, "Come over to me."
0: Party we'll have fun. We'll,
1: we'll, yeah, party at mine. So the Queen Mother, Marie, by the way, she's died by this point. Aww. Um, she died in 1463. So, you know, there's no sort of mediating figure, I suppose. Um, I'm
0: guessing he has Savoy on his side, though.
1: Yeah, he's got Savoy. He's got a few other allies. But Not the
0: different. area around
1: Savoy, they're in a bit of turmoil. They're, um, they are struggling uh, a little bit. Um, yeah. He does have Milan. Uh, Milan sends nice. over some soldiers to help oh, Louis wow. um, at one point. Um, Is Aragon? Not Aragon. Aragon's still dealing with its like with rebellion Bering. thing that's happening. Oh, yeah, okay. they, they've got too much. They going on. don't
0: have. They yeah, don't have any spares.
1: Also, know? even the Pope, uh, Pope Pius II, was against Louis. Oh um, wow! He was bitter that Louis had been uh, auditing the property of the French clergy. Ah!
0: <laughs> So stop checking our books.
1: Louis was also forbidding the collection of funds for a new crusade that Pius was organising.
0: Okay, I um, do have to grief <laughs> Louis on that, okay?
1: Yeah, so Louis's earning points from us for being um, anti-crusades. Yeah, um, I'm
0: always anti-crusade. He, it never ends he well. does. He knows it. He
1: does... He does do the thing that kings often do of, like, pledging to go on cru- on crusade. Yeah, but just pledging sort of, and actually doing just, it. Just, just to sort of keep the brave happy. But the problem is he pledges to go on crusade, and then he forbids people from collecting money for the crusade, showing that he had no intention of of, of going on crusade. I
0: love
1: that. So the Pope even threatened Louis with excommunication, Ooh, of course. We
0: haven't had that in a while.
1: Uh, and when Louis heard this, he responded uh, rather dryly that... Well, uh, Pius was a a very bad pope, and he (laughs) said, if the king doesn't get to choose who is pope, the pope shouldn't get to choose who is king.
0: Stay out of my business and I'll stay out of yours. Don't be meddlesome.
1: So the War of the League of the Public Wheel, um, Mm -hmm. as it's called, goes from March to October 1465, and it's essentially a series of stalemates. Oh. Uh, Louis receives a lot of loyalty from the city of Paris, which is nice. Nice. Um,
0: Okay. Which he's
1: eventually besieged inside the city of Paris um, at oh. one point. But, you know, the Parisians...
0: yeah, They're like, you're one of us! We're letting them in.
1: You're, yeah, you're, you're fine.
0: That just makes me think of Monty Python and, like, the French soldiers on top of the wall. Taunting. Yeah. That's what the Parisians would do.
1: But Louis uh, is... Even with his fairly large royal domain, even with the support of Milan, he's, he's outnumbered and outmatched by the League. But he managed to hold them off for just long enough to negotiate Ooh. a truce. He, he ostensibly gives in to the League. Um, he tells them that he'll cede a bunch of lordships to them. He'll make Ch- Charles of Berry the Duke of Normandy. Um, he'll appoint members of the League to royal offices. Um, so he makes all of these promises. But in practice... In the years after the war, Louis just backtracks on essentially everything. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, and by the time the princes realise that they've just been duped, um, oh. Louis had managed to build up his strength um, Nice. so he wouldn't be caught off guard again. Um, no and more hoodwinking. Also, yeah. And he'd also started sewing division among them and, and dividing them. Oh, uh, he's so
0: good. He's like a wily crafty fox.
1: Yeah, at this point, Louis had no major threat to to his uh, kingship itself. He does still have Burgundy constantly mm-hmm. being a nuisance,
0: but when aren't they?
1: Yeah, so he sort of he's sort of on and off with with Burgundy, uh, or at war with Burgundy for the next ten years or so. But it's never it never reaches as horrible a, a, a time as it was in the Hundred Years' War. Yeah. Um. So Louis was also very fortunate. Speaking of the Hundred Years' War. Um, that there were zero foreign threats to his territory during this time.
0: Yeah, nice. Um,
1: So, uh, England, Italy, Spain, they've all got their own internal conflicts going on. Um, England's got the Wars of the Roses. Italy's got its wars over Milan and Naples. Um, And in Spain, we've got a civil war in Castile, which will eventually see uh, the coming to the throne of Queen Isabella in 1474 oh. yeah and uh, she and her husband Ferdinand of Aragon yep. will unify Spain when he becomes king of Aragon in 1479 um so this is towards the end of, of, of Louis' reign we'll see so we've officially reached Isabella and Ferdinand Oh, very exciting
0: my coin finally has connection
1: yeah but they won't reach the height of their strength and prestige until 1492 with the fall of Granada um yeah. When they officially unite what is now modern yeah. Spain, um and and kick the uh, kick the mo- last Muslim ruler out.
0: And what's the Holy Roman Empire doing?
1: The Holy Roman Empire is, uh, we'll get we'll get to that we'll get to that a bit later.
0: But they're um, not causing problems. I but guess. yeah, they're
1: not causing any stress for Louis. They're. They're kind of
0: fighting amongst themselves?
1: Well, Louis is kind of friends with the Holy Roman Empire. Oh, okay. Usually, France and the Holy Roman Empire in this period are able to kind of unite over the fact that neither of them like Burgundy, <laughs> um, which is kind of between them, you know.
0: That is funny.
1: Um, so, France doesn't really have a border with the Holy Roman Empire, they're kind of off
0: oh, way east.
1: Okay. Yeah. Not yet, at least. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, But we'll get to that. Even Burgundy was starting to have its own rebellion under the new Duke Charles the Bold, including Mm -hmm. the great city of Liege, Mm -hmm. which Louis supported and funded uh, the rebellion of Liege. He also later supported Swiss and Alsatian rebellions against Burgundy. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Charles the Bold continued to antagonize Louis and threaten the royal domain. He claimed that he loved France so much that he uh, wanted to give her six kings instead of one. <laughs> so, you know, basically his intentions are very clear. He wants to divide up the realm and um each prince basically is independent a essentially. Kingdom. He even threatened to split off and create a new kingdom of Burgundy. <laughs> And he campaigned to get elected Holy Roman Emperor as well, but he lost to Frederick III, Frederick von Habsburg, who we'll get to once again. Uh, But uh, Charles of Burgundy seems to have been a little too bold and ambitious for his own good. Um, So going into the 1470s, Louis once again faced the combined threat of Burgundy, now in an alliance with his brother, uh, Charles of Berry. Um, He was sort of betrothed to the Duke of Burgundy's daughter. But Louis didn't face, uh, once again, anything as significant as the League of the Public Wheel.
0: Yeah,
1: Things started to look up when Burgundy failed to reconquer the Somme towns in 1471. Mm. And the following year, Brother Barry got a little illness and uh, he died in his mid-twenties with no heirs. Uh, Which means that Louis gets to reclaim all of his lands and titles uh, (laughs) for the crown.
0: It's like, oh, so sad my brother died, but yes, more land for me.
1: Burgundy continued its war with an invasion of Normandy. They caused a bit of damage there. um, And they even managed to rope in the English. uh, Because by this point, uh, Burgundy uh, marries Margaret of York, Edward IV's Uh... sister. But Louis basically paid Edward to go away. Um, <laughs> the English are really um, a bit bankrupt at this point
0: oh uh, yeah they'll take any penny
1: so Louis just take, Louis just gives them some pennies and gets them to leave and you know Edward just signs a treaty and goes home uh, leaving yeah. Burgundy high, high and dry and uh, <laughs> Burgundy is then forced to also sign uh, a nine year yeah. truce with Louis in 1475 um, and this keeps them at peace for pretty much the rest of uh, Louis's reign Uh, Or at least the the rest of Charles the Bald's life. Um, (laughs) So, uh, which as we will see is not much longer. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, Louis also somehow found time to invade Brittany Uh, at this point. He forced Duke Francis II into signing a treaty with him, a treaty that was obviously favorable to Louis. Uh, Louis then went south to deal with some southern rebels. Uh, there's this guy, Duke John V of Armagnac, who, uh, is down in sort of Gascony. On top of being a threat to the royal territory of Guienne, mm-hmm. he was just generally considered a menace.
0: A nuisance.
1: He was also no- notorious for having successfully married his own sister. Ew!
0: Um, what is this, bloody Targaryens?
1: He managed to get a papal dispensation to marry his sister, With whom he had three children already.
0: (laughs) Oh my god. It's
1: very strange.
0: That is so ancient Egypt. I
1: don't know what these Armagnacs are doing. How the
0: hell did the Pope even allow that?
1: Oh, the the Popes are extremely corrupt at this point. They're reaching the height of corruption.
0: What, did he just give them some money?
1: The Protestant Reformation is only 30 years away. Like, we're reaching the tipping point. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Is that corruption?
1: Yeah. So, but yeah, I assume Armagnac just paid a lot of money to, to, to make that problem go away. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, Armagnac's life ended uh, violently at the Good. Siege of Lecture. Uh, he was killed in the assault of the royal troops, um, who then just took over his lands. Um, <laughs> so with the, the, the defeats of Burgundy and Brittany and the deaths of Berry and Armagnac and new agreements with the Anjou's and the Bourbons, uh, Louis managed to successfully break up the Rebellious League yeah. uh, by the mid-1470s nice. after about a decade of on and off civil war. And uh we will see others like it in the near future, where you know the lords will renew their unaddressed grievances. Yeah. But for now, Louis ended up on top. And in the future, nice. because he's he's earned himself a lot of territory from uh this, um, he's he's really expanded the royal domain. Uh Louis uh you know, has more power to deal with this. And Louis became more ruthless the more powerful he oh,
0: got. He's one of those kings.
1: He started executing major nobles like the Count of Saint Paul and the oh. Duke of Nemours, as well as imprisoning and torturing uh Duke Rene of Alencon.
0: Uh oh. the
1: son of the he's the son of the Duke of Alencon who um rebelled before the the yeah. fair Duke, Joan of Joan of Arc's yeah. Fair Duke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um uh, so Alençon was suspended in a cage, apparently, and uh, which which forced him <sighs> to stand, and he, he lost the use of his arm and leg as a result.
0: Mm.
1: Um, while uh, Louis XI watched gleefully, um, <laughs> so meanwhile the king's uh, vastly developed network of spies at this point yes. uh, made all of the other lords like afraid to leave their Trimble. houses, basically. Oh God, yeah, they were like the...
0: Oh, they ha- its like the you know the saying: "The wall has ears," or the wall can.
1: Hmm. Yeah. So the elderly Rene of Anjou, different Rene, um, mm-hmm. by this point was bankrupted by failed wars against Naples and Aragon. He enraged Louis by Ooh. leaving Louis out of his will. Ooh. Even though he was rewarding other nephews uh, with with oh. titles and lands, so Louis simply took the duchies of Anjou oh! and and Bar as well for himself.
0: And was like mine now, bitch. Yeah, you're dead. There's nothing you can do about it.
1: And then when Louis's cousin Charles II of Maine died without heirs, what? he also okay. took over both Maine and Provence.
0: Okay, that makes sense though.
1: Which essentially gives him all of the Anjouin lands now. Wow. Uh, the ha- the ha- the Valois house of Anjou has died out. Lou's just taken yeah. all those lands. So this left the Valois House of Anjou with uh, only the crumbs of Lorraine. Uh, mm. And the house itself dies out with Rene's daughter, Duchess Yolande. Uh, really? so Yolande Junior yeah. um, who's Margaret of Anjou's elder sister oh. so she becomes the Duchess of Lorraine and her descendants are the House of Lorraine which uh, makes her the direct ancestor of Marie Antoinette Fun oh. fact. Yolande of Lorraine's uh, son and heir uh, Duke René II they're very mm-hmm. imaginative with names in this family and <laughs> um, he ends up being invaded by the Burgundians in 1477, oh. who just want to, like, while they're on Gisla week, they just want to, like, nab Lorraine. Like, may as well. Um, may as well. And the Burgundians have been annoyed by the fact that that they don't control Lorraine for, like, a very long time. It's
0: chewing Because, you know,
1: it's in the east. It's kind of in the midst of their territory. And they're like, we just want to, like, uh, we'll close close the loop here and just take that.
0: Make a nice um, little circle.
1: Yeah. So Rene gets invaded by Charles the Bald in 1477. And to cut a long story short, Charles mm-hmm. the Bald, uh, this ends up backfiring for him uh, <laughs> when he is killed by a Swiss Ooh. mercenary uh, while trying to besiege the, uh, the Lorrainian capital of Nancy. Um, so there's this chaotic skirmish um, yeah. and uh, people lose track of where the Duke of Burgundy is but then his body is is discovered oh. uh, later on um his, his his yeah you know he's got this wound from a, a swiss halberd um, which is like yeah. a big like axe yeah. staff thing um <laughs> and his body was discovered half eaten by wolves as well Ooh. which is very pleasant um so word quickly traveled of course to louis the 11th who's got his spies he's like, everywhere like finally Louis had taken up residence in Lyon, uh, sort okay. of the nearest big royal city um, yeah. and he'd just been sort of like watching what was happening <laughs> from the sidelines, you know, to see what would happen in the war between the Burgundy and Lorraine way. yeah uh, and when he got the news of uh, Charles's death, he wrote to one of his commanders if it be true that the Duke of Burgundy is dead, occupy the country forthwith
0: <laughs> <laughs> simple and direct very
1: villainous Simple and direct. So at the age of forty-four, Charles the Bald left behind only one daughter, Mary okay. the Rich. Ah! Um, who Mary, uh, at uh twenty years old, uh, she was savvy enough to realize that she had to act fast before yeah. the king of France came and gobbled up her lands. Yeah. Um luckily she is single, so she's able to use her
0: um oh. sort of
1: um
0: Marriage the matter. prospect
1: of her as the the most valuable heiress in all of Europe uh, yeah. to her advantage.
0: Ditch. Yeah.
1: So Louis Bernard, of course, had a brutal reputation among the Burgundians, yeah. um, and he didn't help this by seizing the uh, Burgundian province of Artois, uh, oh. beheading the town officials of Arras oh. for trying to escape to link up with their new Duchess, and having occupied the Burgundian palace of Arras started taking all of her valuables and distributing them among his supporters. Oh. So Louis's off on the wrong foot, let's just say, uh, with the new Duchess.
0: Who did she marry?
1: We'll get to that. Uh, Louis was adamant that, you know, he only wanted to protect Mary um, because (laughs) Mary was going to get to be the next Queen of France uh, by marrying his son, the Dauphin. Wouldn't that be Ah. lovely? Wouldn't that be nice? Mary, however was not into this plan. (laughs) Ah, Not only did she despise King Louis, just as her father had, but she also very correctly assumed that Louis was just trying to disinherit her. uh, Just trying to absorb her realm into the royal domain. uh, As she had with so many others. Um, Also, the prospect of marrying the Dauphin Charles probably wasn't very attracted to her uh, because he was 12 years old Um, and he was widely considered to be very ugly.
0: Um, (laughs) Okay, can't blame her there.
1: Bit of a trend with the royal family at this time. So Mary of Burgundy instead turned from the west to France (gasps) to the east for an alliance, and she ends up making an alliance with the family that would become the Valois' number one rivals for power from this point, which is the Habsburgs. Oh! So now we're go- now we're going to get into the Habsburgs.
0: The
1: are alive with the sound of... He's your cousin. Yeah, but he's my first cousin, right? So you have your cousins, and then you have
0: your first cousins, and then you have your second cousin. Wow. The
1: Austrian Habsburgs took over the empire permanently with Frederick III. They'd been kind of on and off emperors in the centuries before that. I think their first emperor was in like the 1200s. But mm-hmm. the Holy Roman Empire has an electoral system, so it yeah. kind of bounces between different families.
0: Not anymore.
1: Up to this point, it's mainly been like a rivalry between the two major houses, being uh, the Luxembourgs and the Bavarians. Oh, um, okay. So, Isabeau of Bavaria's family yeah. versus the. Luxembourg bohemian family of like John the Blind and those sort of people. Mm. But now it's it's Habsburg time and the Habsburgs (laughs) uh, managed to rule the empire uh, relatively unopposed actually.
0: Yeah.
1: For... Basically forever, (laughs) for for the rest of the empire's history. Yeah. And Frederick III uh, has quite a long reign. He's been emperor since 1452, so since around the end of the Hundred Years' War. And he manages to get his son, Archduke Maximilian, married to Mary of Burgundy, uh, bringing the rich and lucrative Low Countries, which were legally part of the Holy Roman Empire, under Habsburg control. However... Louis, because he acted fast, was able to prevent most of the Burgundian territory within France from, oh. from you know, getting taken over by the Habsburgs. Yeah. Nice. So he managed to occupy and gain temporary control over the Duchy of Burgundy and the County of Burgundy, which, if you remember, are different entities. Yeah. Although they have been ruled by the same person for a while. And he gets Artois, he gets Picardy, he gets all, all of the, like, stuff that's in modern day France, basically. Nice. Um, so... Essentially, the vast territory of Burgundy basically just gets like split down the yeah. middle between France nice. and the Holy Roman Empire. And this is known as the dismemberment of Burgundy. <laughs> Burgundy as a big principality is no longer a thing. Yeah, um, no it's more. the end of the Valois-Burgundy family. This now means... With the gains yes. from the dismemberment of Burgundy, that Louis XI has a bigger royal domain than arguably any king of France that we've oh. ever seen. Yeah,
0: more than Charlemagne.
1: Um, well, it's a bit tricky going back to the Franks because <laughs> a we're not yeah. sure how much they personally ruled, and b it's like it's yeah. not really France, France at that okay. point. But let's say like since the uh, like Capetians, like he's okay. the He's the first Capetian who has this bigger role to main, Like, nice. taking stuff like Provence, which is extremely rich, has the Port of Marseille. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a good... There's a huge good, good gains, junk. especially yeah. financially, for, yeah. for the crown. In 1482, uh, Mary of Burgundy tragically died young um, after oh. falling off her horse while pregnant.
0: Oh.
1: But the son she left behind, uh, Philip the Handsome Ooh. of Habsburg, will not only inherit Burgundy, well, the Duchy of Burgundy, which is kind of not Burgundy anymore. Yeah. it's mainly now just the Low Countries, so the Netherlands, Belgium. What is now? Is this
0: that the one area? who's married Joanna?
1: Yes, he also oh. marries uh, uh, Joanna the Mad, Isabel and Ferdinand's daughter.
0: We saw their co- their their burial place when we were yeah in we Spain. saw their
1: coffins when we were in Spain. Yeah, yeah. They're all. I think they're all together in. Um, yeah, Seville is it? Seville?
0: Yeah, they're all together.
1: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so Philip marries Joanna the Mad, who is the heiress to both Castile and Aragon.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so not only does Spain get united, but under the Habsburgs, Spain and the Holy Roman Empire ended up getting united, which is not good for France.
0: <laughs> I did watch a very good uh, TV show about Joanna's son. That was. But it's on oh, Charles V. Well, yeah, we'll definitely but very get to well Charles v.
1: We'll definitely get to Emperor Charles. Don't you worry. Yeah. But that's, you know, that's future problems. Future away. problems for France. Yeah, that's a while away.
0: Not a Louis problem. But yeah,
1: just so, you know, uh, uh, Habsburg, the Habsburgs are accumulating all the territories at this point, and they'll eventually surround the French on all sides by having Spain, mm. the Netherlands, Germany, and also Northern Italy, eventually. And this is going to be an absolute nightmare for France.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but again, future problems. Moving back to 1482, uh, yeah. shortly before Mary of Burgundy's death, Louis does actually manage to make a peace with the Habsburgs by betrothing oh. the the Dauphin to Mary's infant daughter, Margaret. But... It's, it's, again, not a very age-appropriate <laughs> match because one's a baby and one's 12, but... You know, it's it's an improvement on the last attempt at, at a marriage alliance. So we'll see how that goes. We'll see how that alliance yeah. goes uh in future episodes. Mm-hmm. But brief side note: the celebrations surrounding the betrothal festivities, uh, when yeah. there's a bunch of Flemish ambassadors invited invited to Paris. This is where Victor Hugo's novel, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, begins. Oh. Uh this is the occasion that Uh, where the the Feast of Fools happens. Mm. Um, If we remember the big festival from the film. uh, In the novel, it's to celebrate the betrothal of um, the Dauphin and uh, Mm. Margaret of Austria. Yeah. So that's fun. Uh, So getting back to Louis the 11th, Despite yep. the chaotic carve-up of Burgundy, he's not done too bad for himself. Mm. His endless hunger for more land, combined with his quick strategic mind, his network of skilled advisors and spies, yeah. and a series of convenient deaths in the Valois <laughs> family uh, have earned him this vast royal domain. Nice. In 1483, mm-hmm. Louis XI, whose health had been declining for a couple, a couple of years, yeah. um, he died possibly from a stroke, uh, okay. A month after his 60th birthday, um, oh. which is the longest a king of France has survived for, for quite some time. Yeah. Um, and he died on the 30th of August, 1483 in the Chateau de Plessis-les-Tours, uh, which was his favorite residence in the Loire oh, Valley. Nice. So as much as his, he and his father hadn't gotten along, they'd at least agreed on one thing. And that's the, the, the Loire Valley is pretty nice. <laughs>
0: um,
1: yeah. It's a good place for a king to be because it's 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 nice yeah. and it's it's central as well,
0: yeah,
1: it's a good midpoint between Paris and like the yeah. southern territories. so Louis was buried uh, not at Saint Denis, actually. Oh. He was buried in the Basilica of Notre Dame de Clary near Orleans, uh, and he was given a very simple tomb, um which was of what he would have wanted, yeah, it kind of seems like what he would have wanted,
0: so does that mean it was't destroyed during the revolution?
1: Um, I don't know. Um, I didn't see pictures of it, so I think it may have been destroyed at some point. But mm. for what reason, I we can only Don't guess. Know. Yeah. <laughs> so on Louis' deathbed, uh, mm-hmm. something very unusual happens. Okay. So his sole surviving son is declared Charles Eighth of France. Uh, but he's only 13 years old, uh, so yeah. he needs a regent. Yeah. By this time, Queen Charlotte of Savoy is dead, and the powerful dukes in France are either also dead, dead. or, uh, you know, too distrusted by King Louis to be declared yeah. regent. So Louis instead declares his 22 year old daughter, Anne, oh. to be her little brother's regent. Oh. And so Anne of France, the princess, will be the subject of our next episode. Small correction here: Charlotte of Savoy was actually still alive when Louis XI died, although not for much longer. She outlived him for, uh, by about a year. Um, it's also not entirely the case that Louis chose uh, his daughter Anne as the regent. There was supposed to be a council consisting of the queen, Anne's husband, and other princes of the re- of the realm. But by giving Anne custody of her brother shortly before his death, I think Louis was implicitly leaving France in her care. Because as we saw in the Regency of Madness, you know, if you control the air, you control the future. So I do still think that Louis chose Anne, just not quite in the direct way that I've implied in this episode. But first, of course, we've got to do part two of Louis the yes. Eleventh, in which we rate him. Uh, because there's a lot I've skipped over in this episode. There's a lot of interesting detail about his rulership, his personality yeah. to get into. Um, nice. So so stay tuned for part two, which will be coming out a week after this. And we'll be deciding whether or not Louis XI deserves the guillotine. But Eliza, what do you think Louis' prospects are so far?
0: Um, He's looking pretty good at making it and surviving. But I guess we'll mm. see after... By the end of part two,
1: we'll see. But he's it's it's a very almost unexpected trajectory. I think mm. he's he's got he's full of surprises. Is is he? he really is? And there's more surprises to come. Yay! So, uh, oh, I, I do have to thank uh, a new patron. Thank you to Nicole Lane for joining Economy Plus. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for your support And you're going to get all the bonus episodes It's going to be very exciting Including our new Mistress series <laughs> Which we have just started And yes. uh, Agnes Sorrell will be coming out Just after Louis Eleventh episodes um, And we have a new tier on Patreon for that It's called The Boudoir So if you just want the Mistress series You can sign up to The Boudoir It's cheaper than the other tiers as well And mm. thank you to Elspeth our friend Elsbeth yes. for already upgrading from Nosebleed section to the boudoir, uh, so Elsbeth's gonna get the whole series. And also by this point I'll have released a sort of preview of our first episode on the nice. free feed, just to like get everyone excited. And that features our new Mistress Music by Rob from Total's Rankin. Yes, so I want you. to also thank Rob for composing that. And I've also designed some very luxurious cover art for yes. this series, which you'll She'll be able to see sing on our instagram as the episodes come out uh and i'll put it on the facebook group as well just to keep you guys updated on what's going on in the mistress series in january we'll be releasing the mistresses of charles 7th uh yes. agnes sorel Antoinette de uh, Manuelet, and we'll continue in in chronological order sort of parallel to the kings so go uh you know join the boudoir but uh next episode here will be louis the 11th and then we'll go on to Anne of France as well after that, yeah. which is very exciting um, alright, so any final thoughts Eliza? Uh,
0: don't ride horses stay out of <laughs> forests uh, don't die of dysentery, yeah
1: yeah, well if you're, if you're gonna ride horses, be good at riding horses because Louis XI did a lot of hunting, rode a lot of horses and he was good at it, so he didn't die <laughs> So that's going to be Aura far from me.
0: Goodbye from me.